Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with We Go grads with unique careers and the roads they travel to get there. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at We Go since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Max Russo, class of 2020. Today, we talk to Tyler Hunter, class of 2012, a Marine Critical Skills Operator for MARSOC, Marine Special Operations Command. Today, Tyler is going to tell us about the preparation and training that go into being one of the most elite groups in the armed forces of the United States military. Joining us today is Tyler Hunter from the class of 2012. Tyler, what do you do? Uh, what's going on? Uh, I'm United States Marine, um, critical skills operator with uh, 3rd Marine Raider Battalion right now. Okay, so Tyler, is the what does that entail? Like, so what is like your, what is your day like? So you wake up in the morning and then you go to sleep at night. Like what's, what happens in between uh, morning and, and night? Uh, so I usually wake up around five to go work out before I show up to work and work out for like two, two and a half hours a day. Um, then I roll up to work. Um, it really depends day to day what we have going on. Uh, usually if I'm local, um, it's usually administrative work, like sending emails, um, getting ready for our next trip out to go train across the country. Um, and then, I mean, if we got nothing planned for work, we just kind of go home, but, uh, usually just trying to set up for next training evolution to be as successful as possible. So what, what is a training evolution? What does that look like? Um, so last week, uh, me and five guys went out to Montana to work on some rope and repelling and like, uh, some tunnel repelling. So like we made sure our gear was good, uh, made sure our plane tickets were in order. Um, everyone knew where they had to be. And then, so we could smoothly transition between leaving, uh, Camp Lejeune on getting to Montana in one piece, then successfully training there with all the equipment required. And then uh, coming back all together with everything that we brought. So when so when you go on a, a mission like this or a training, I should say, yeah, um, who's responsible for gear and all of that? Is that is that on you, or do you have people who uh, kind of get the logistical support ready for you? So in the big Marine Corps, um, you have like logistical people that do that for you. But for us, we're such a small little group of guys we just assign a dude hey you're going to be the s4 logistics guy um here's what we're bringing out make sure we have it and because we only work with teams of 12 we all make sure that that gear is accounted for so we all work together in order to accomplish that task how would you distinguish the marines from uh the other uh, uh armed forces uh, in the united states because obviously we have air force army navy marines um so two two point uh, question, which is uh, like, how would you describe like how the Marines distinguish themselves in terms of their role in the armed forces? And then uh, why did you uh, uh, pick the Marines? Uh, so the Marines are different. So they're basically so the army is like your big garrison land military. So like uh, Afghanistan, like they occupy. Right. Um, the Marine Corps was designed during during World oh man, Revolutionary War as like sharpshooters on ships were like the Navy's infantry, you'd put it that way. And then we we're really utilized and got our foothold during World War II when we had that Pacific campaign in the Pacific, obviously. So like the Marine Corps, we're like the Navy's infantry, we'll create a beachhead, um, create that logistical hub so the Army could actually push forward into 
said country. Um, recently, we've obviously gotten away from that because of Afghanistan and Iraq, and we're actually trying to rewind and focus on our amphibious routes, um, mostly just practicing like our ship to shore capabilities and things like that. Um, I joined the Marine Corps, uh, mostly because I just saw a Marine recruiter. I mean, I wanted to join the Marine Corps, like the military since I was like three. And I don't know, I just saw a Marine Corps recruiter and I was like, you got it, bud. Let's do this. Uh, pretty, pretty simple choice for me. Um, I wasn't going to go to college um, yet. Mostly college just didn't interest me, which is okay. I feel like it's a huge thing I should say. Like not going to college is okay. There's tons of schools out there. But I just, I didn't feel like I would be successful there. I like doing things with my hands and nothing really interested me except for like the military. I had read a lot of history on it. Like I like to play guns when I was a kid, play army when I was a kid. So the military is kind of like an obvious choice for me. So you, so there's the Marines, but yep. you're like in a specific yeah. unit within the Marines. And so how would you distinguish um, now that uh, Mar MARSOC? Uh, from yeah. That? So there's the Marine Corps, which is a conventional force uh, used by conventional forces so like big army. You have big Marine Corps as well. And then you have MARSOC, which is like Green Berets, Navy SEALs, and other, I think the Air Force has, like PJs are considered SOCOM as well. Um, they're basically a special operations unit that operates kind of like on their own rules, independent of the actual big Marine Corps. So when we, we don't get our tasking from the big Marine Corps, we get our tasking from SOCOM, which is a different like organization in itself. So, um, when do you make the decision or to join Morisak? Are you recruited or do you, um, say, Hey, I'm going to go for this. Like what's the, uh, what's the, uh, the entry point for, uh, joining this particular division? So first things you have to join the Marine Corps and serve at least three years about give or take. I think they changed it recently. You have to be a more senior Marine, um, mostly because Marsac members are mature and they're not young. They're not 18 year olds in the green berets. You could join right. You can become a green beret, like right out of college. It's called an 18 x-ray program. Uh, the Marine Corps is not like that. So you join the Marine Corps, you know, about three or four years. If you feel like taking that step, you talk to a Marsoc recruiter. Um, and if you meet the standards of like your GT score, which is your like mental, it's basically like your English and your math test it's on your ASVAB. If you meet those requirements, you meet the PFT, which is your physical fitness test requirements. They'll send you to a school called assessment and selection, which is built off the Green Beret and Delta Force uh, assessment selection. It's basically the same thing, um, just not as physical because you're a Marine. You've already been a Marine for four years, so they don't really PT you as hard. So you go to assessment selection, and then if they select you, you go through an additional pipeline called ITC, which is the individual training course. And that's a nine-month pipeline. And then after that, it's a three-month language school. And then after that, you go to basic airborne, and then you go to military free-for-all. So, wow. so there's the so many cool different things to kind of unpack. Yeah. In there. So, wow. So the, the pipeline itself from getting from going to ANS to actually hitting your unit or your team is about a year and a half to two years if you don't get hurt or rolled back. 
Okay. So another thing that's interesting about Marsoc is that we will take all MOSs, which is your job. So you don't have to be like an infantry guy to go to Marsoc. You could be a cook. You could be an artillery guy. You could be a logistics guy. You still have the opportunity to go to assessment selection, and there is still a possibility you can get selected and still become a critical skills operator. You said that there was a difference between basic was much more physically rigorous if I, if I heard you right versus like hey you're in it you've maintained a certain threshold of your physicality and fitness so that's, uh, yeah that's kind of the difference between uh, like green beret assessment mm-hmm. selection which is the army's version of marsoc they've been there since like the 60s they're way more senior than us we're kind of the new guys in the block right so marsoc was started in like 2009 um but to become a CSO, you already have to have been in the Marine Corps for three to, three to four years. So it's not, if you watch uh, Discovery when I was a kid, did a whole thing called Surviving the Cut. And there was a whole episode on Green Beret assessment selection. I watched it over and over again before I went to my assessment selection. And I thought it was going to be just as difficult. And it wasn't like the first week and a half was just kind of just like PT, making sure you were within the standards. And then phase two started. And that was more team building and other things like that. But for the Marine Corps, assessment selection isn't as hard as people think it is. So when when you go, so in the pipeline, when you're going through the MARSOC, like the unique training of it, you said you went to a like language school. What what's what is that? Is there a what's the range of language school for some of that? Is it what um, kind of languages, or is it is it language like the vernacular of the military, or what's the no no? Uh, what's, it's what's that look like. So right now they're teaching two languages. They're teaching Arabic and French. I had to learn French. Um, I had four months to learn it. And that was that was really tough. I don't know if you've ever had to learn a language semi fluently in four months. It was not cool. <laughs> but um, they used to teach uh, way more languages. But just because we're kind of at peacetime, funding's kind of going down, so we're kind of focusing on two languages right now, which is non-standard or MSA Arabic and French. So yeah, it's not you. By the time you go to assessment selection your military language should be already set. You're a senior Marine, you're about to reenlist or you're on the verge of like getting out. And like ANS is kind of like your shot of, Hey, do I want to stay in or do I want to get out? That's what a lot of people use it as. Your current run in, in MARSOC, how long will you, what's the longevity of, of uh, a typical person in MARSOC? Oh, so once you're in, once you become a CSO, like you, you can't go anywhere else. Um, you're, Consider too valuable funding wise um, to do anything else. So I will stay a critical skills operator for the next 12 years until I retire. Or if I stay in longer, then that's the entire time I'm, I'm staying as a CSO. They can put me in different billets, but those are going to be SOCOM billets and not throughout the greater Marine Corps. So oh, there's so many questions I got to ask. So when you're a critical skills operator, so that could mean a lot of things. Like what is your, underneath that, what is your like real, like your, your unique specialty within that? Oh man, there's, you have to know. So <laughs> you have to know a lot. All right. So I joined the Marine Corps as an 0311, which was just a rifleman uh, in the infantry. Um, when I went through the pipeline and finished, I got to the teams and they're like, Hey, I have like 12 different jobs right now, right? I could, I'm the armory guy, the weapons guy. I'm also a mortar leader. I'm also going to be the 
site, um, the OAC guy, which is basically like collecting evidence, putting it in labs. Um, there's, there's so, there's like, there's, you have to cover like such a large spectrum. There's no real way to pinpoint what my actual job is because whatever job I'm tasked with, I have to complete it regardless of my skill level on it, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, it totally does. Which of, of those, uh, uh, 11 or 12 jobs that you have, which is your favorite to do? Um, I like infantry stuff, like close combat, uh, direct action is my favorite thing, mostly because I came from an infantry background. So I like, like, I just like uh, infantry tactics, what small weapons, small units, all that just really interests me. So I'm really passionate about it. Um, but there's like so much stuff you can do. Um, so much I want to talk about, but I can't, oh, that I like to do as well. But it's basically the amount of jobs is like, I know you're an English teacher and a civics teacher, but it's like, hey, Mr. Turnbaugh, go ahead and teach math for a month. And I know you don't know how to, you're not a math teacher, but like you have to rise up and complete that task because failure is not an option for us. So there's so many jobs that you have to do. It's like impossible to pinpoint it and label them. If that makes any sense. I'm sorry. It makes a, a totally, I, here, I got, I have a question I think you can answer you've had to jump out of an airplane. Oh, right? man. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, like, so, so that might be the one uh, in your training. Like to me, uh, that, that I just go cross-eyed even thinking about like what that would be. Uh, what, like, was that something that we, that you were like, Oh, this is going to be a blast. And you had no fear. Or was that something that you really had to like somehow power through and get over and then, and, and get that done? Like, what was that whole oh. first experience like to do that? I'm terrified of heights, <laughs> um, static line. So there's two types of jumps that you can do, which is static line. I don't know if you've ever seen Band of Brothers. Uh -huh. um, static line is where you jump out of an airplane and you have a tether tied to the actual airplane and that pulls your chute out. Usually do that low level, like a thousand or 1200 feet and below. Um, that's the most terrifying type of jump to me, mostly because if you fall and your chute doesn't deploy, you don't have that much time to deploy your reserve. And it's just high enough where you can survive the impact and like live with like two broken femurs and a compressed spine for the rest of your life. And that's, that just terrifies me. So when I was at basic airborne, I had my buddy go in front of me because I would blindly follow him anywhere. <laughs> um, and I wasn't going to go first. Absolutely not. This just wasn't my forte. But once I got to free fall, I had to, I, cause I'm a light dude. I'm about 180 pounds. And I'm the lightest guy, so I had to go first. And that I I wasn't scared at that point. I just like looked at the ground, looked like Google Earth, and I was like, well, as soon as I got the tap, I was like, I have to go because everyone else is following me, you know. So it's kind of like that leader mindset of just go, so everyone else can get off the plane because you have a mission to accomplish. And I mean, it, it that, seems <laughs> it seems counterintuitive, which is like somehow it was easier for you to jump out of the airplane because you had to lead. But if it was just you and no one else in there, it, it would have been scarier to do. I, it seems, is, would that be a fair assessment of that? Absolutely. Not anymore. Not, yeah. I love jumping now. Like I have about a hundred and some military jumps and I love jumping now. But when I first started jumping, I was absolutely terrified. You're, you're like 15,000 feet in the air and that ramp opens and it looks like you're looking at Google earth <laughs> and you're just like staring like, ah, oh, it's the ground right there. <laughs> and some dude just taps your shoulder and just points out the ramp and you're just like, all right, dude. Like, I, I guess this is it. 
and you just kind of like lean forward and do a little hop out and that's that uh, yeah, yeah it's it's a big mental game i was gonna say, so that was actually I was, I was scribbling down some questions like earlier today which is like how how do you see the balance at this point you know because you have you started off young so you were 18 when you joined uh the marines and you know now you've been you're still a young man but you like you're 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 a veteran in the sense that you've been in the marines you're a leader and all of that how would you explain the kind of evolution of how you manage getting your mind ready versus getting your body ready for the challenges of being in the marines and how that is uh, um how it changes through the lifespan of you being in the Marines and that Man. dynamic between mind and body. That's a, that's a really good question. All right. So I'll start from the very beginning when I first joined the Marine Corps. Um, I was like, I had wanted to be in the military, join the Marine Corps. And like the recruiter, when I, when I joined the infantry, the recruiter was like, Hey man, just so you know, cause you're joining the infantry, like your life isn't going to be too awesome. You know, I'm going to be sleeping in holes, hiking all the time and things like that. And I was like, awesome. That's exactly what I wanted. Be like hiking and camping. Exact opposite of what happened when I hit the fleet. Um, it was a lot of yelling. Um, I'm just repetitive doing the same thing every day until I got good at it. And I used to actually hate the Marine Corps. Um, about five years in, I was about to get out. And then on my third deployment, I kind of was put in a leadership position where I could influence uh, squad. So I was a squad leader and I don't know, I just really fell in love with that. And then I saw the Marine Corps for what it was. And I was able to influence other people and like basically raise them as kids. If in that sense, like it was weird. Cause I was like 21 and I had a 19 year old asking me like how to get a credit card. <laughs> and I didn't even have a credit card. <laughs> and I was like, yes, let me figure that out for you real quick, big guy. And I'll get that answer for you. And I don't know. I just really like that. Um, and then like mentally, I don't know. I just, after boot camp, you kind of like get in this mindset of like failure is just not an option. If that makes any sense, like you just can't quit. Like you could always try your best, but you just can't, you can't just stop and give up. So like, that was my mindset, my whole Marine Corps career. Like no matter how much I hated my job at the time, like there was still no quitting because it's not just my life that depends on that. It's the guys to my left and right. Like they look up to me, Hey, this guy's been in for a minute. This guy's been in for five years. I just got here. If he gives up, what, what kind of influence does that have on me? You know what I mean? It, it's gotta be so interesting because like people read books about leadership and take classes about it, but like you are in a, uh, a type of career where um, it's almost something that has to be um, not only just earned, but kind of intuited, you know, in such a way to be able to, to get that. How, how is leadership something that is either formally taught in the Marines or is it, and how much of it is just kind of implicitly you get it or you don't like what's, how has that been your experience? So they have, they have formal classes at every rank now or uh, from E3 up. So when you become an E3, which is a Lance Corporal, you go to a Lance Corporal seminar and they start in, instilling the disciplines of being a leader um, 
like at that level because lance corporals are like the backbone of the marine corps i don't care what anyone says like those guys they're the majority and and they're about to become ncos which is a non-commissioned officer so they need to have they need to be ready for that transition from becoming a lance corporal to a corporal um so you go to lance corporal seminar and you learn those basic um leadership principles that are basically taught in boot camp but you don't really understand them in boot camp because you're just in boot camp you're like yes sir no sir i'm just trying to get it to the next day so i could get boot camp over with and become a marine lance corporal seminar really starts to instill that and then when you become a corporal you go to corporal's course which instills it further and then when you go to sergeants you go to like a formal school which is called sergeant school and it's a pme which is a professional military education um and it's like a month-long course and you like sit down you have discussions you have guided discussions hey like what does being a leader mean to you and you could hear all these other opinions from different mos's because it's not just infantry there you have like air wingers there and they're like hey like this is what i think leadership is to me and you could discuss that and you learn from a lot of people like i think my biggest influence to becoming a good leader was my first squad leader and i know that sounds like super weird but i hated him I hated my first squad leader. He was, he was in best terms, like a big flag. Um, he was just mean all the time. He was a really smart guy, but he didn't really have good interpersonal skills. And I knew that if I had stayed in, I didn't want to be like him. I wanted to like influence my guys just like as you would in your job. Like you see a bad teacher. Hey, you learn from that. I don't want to be, those are the mistakes that that teacher made. I'm not going to make those mistakes. I saw the same thing as being a squad leader. I was like, I see these mistakes he's making. He's not bonding with his squad. He's not really talking. He just thinks he's really good, but he's not learning. So I just took those lessons that I learned from him. And then when I had my second squad leader, um, he was a Corporal Taz. I learned so much from him just because he was just way better than my first. He just influenced me. He was, he was like the reason I stayed in the Marine Corps, actually. He was just a positive influence. And you just learn as you go. And it's kind of it's kind of like sink or swim because some things are forced on you and and you have to like you have to adapt. And some things you just have to like you learn through failure. And that and like that's just like it's kind of like life, just a lot more pressure, if that makes sense. Well, it does. And I think it's 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 interesting that you had it, the wherewithal to recognize the opportunity that the first person that you had couldn't offer you what you needed, but that became the learning opportunity. You know, like I can't do that when I have the opportunity that, that you had that. So that was pretty, that was, that was really a wise adaptation that you were able to, um, uh, to, to come up with. with that. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really realize it till I was actually about to become a squad leader. Cause after my second deployment, they're like, hey, Tyler, you're going to be a squad leader now. And I was like, I have no what, dude? Like, I have no idea what it takes to be a squad leader. And then I sat down with Taz and I was like, what do I do? And he was like, yo, you just learn. Like, take the lessons I taught you and look around you. You'll see bad NCOs. You'll see good NCOs. So when I became a squad leader, I was still a Lance Corporal. And that's a squad leader is usually an E5. And I was an E3. And I had to be at an E5 level, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, I'm trying to compare it to being a teacher. It's like being a teacher's assistant, but you're expected to be a teacher. Like you're still learning, but you also need to do the job at the same time. And it's just 
a lot of sink or swim. You're learning as you go. And you, one of the biggest things I could say is just like, always ask questions. If you're not sure of something, ask, because the worst thing you could do is pretend you know, and then you just look like, you look like an idiot because you you think you know everything, but you don't. It's okay to ask questions. And I, that's what I do all the time. I still, to this day, ask hundreds of questions every time I get the chance. Well, I mean, it's, you know, the samurai has to keep on sharpening the sword, right? So it's kind of like, you know, it's the, uh, to have the humility to know that you um, will will keep on needing to, ha- to adapt, learn, and get better at your craft, no matter what it is. And, you know, and your, your analogies to the military, to uh, being a better teacher have been very good. You're, you might be coming for my job with all these great <laughs> comparisons i i love it so the uh i know you can't we can't get into the to the details of like your missions and all this stuff but like i was wondering um like if i could just kind of clarify a couple things like how long is typically a deployment um so that's open source that's easy um six months are 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 the average um covid kind of messed things up a little bit some deployments got extended but like in the line company i would deploy for six months come back um, then it'll be an 18th month workup. And then that, that following year and a half later, deploy again, come back 18 month workup. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty common, Like there's, especially in the big Marine Corps, it's pretty, it's pretty stapled, like what the deployment cycle is. So, yeah. Now are your, are your deployments like, because in MARSOC, like, like there's a rotation for the Marines. Like there's a, is there like a Marine base, like in japan correct yes yeah that's, yeah that's open source but yeah now are, now do you with marsoc are you is it more like clandestine where like where you go for your deployments like like i'm, I'm not asking for where you've been but like are you is that something that is now like like people know where your particular platoon goes or am, am, I, am I using the right um so, sort of i feel where you're coming from and it's, yeah. it's a yes and no um some like some missions that we have and some deployments we go to it's very aware of where we are and what we're doing and then there's other ones where it isn't so aware it's it's uh what's the word it's not non-clandestine i think is the word i'm sorry yeah Yeah. so there's there's clandestine where everyone knows where you are and then there's non-clandestine and and we 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 i think there's the other way clandestine like when it's undercut or like no one knows but then it's open the other one. So that's yeah, yeah. Words, right? I never went to college. So. I know you got it. You got it. I'm just a, um, just a dude that graduated high school. <laughs> it's great. So, um, so where where are the places that you've been uh, stationed? Um, I for six years I was on the west coast. That's where I was stationed in Camp Pendleton, and for the past four years I've been on Camp Lejeune. Um. You could also, depending on your MOS, you can get stationed in Okinawa, but those are, and then there's another base in Hawaii. So if you're in the Marine Corps, you could really only get stationed in four places, Hawaii, Okinawa, California, or North Carolina. And have you, and obviously you've been to all of them. Is there, which one is the preferred, uh, is it, I mean, it seems like it would be obviously Hawaii, but maybe it's not so much. I've actually, that. I've actually never been to Hawaii on, on like for work. I went there after high school for my graduation trip with my buddy, Kevin Puccinelli. We went to Hawaii, but that was the only time I've ever been there. I've never been there for work. Uh, I liked California for a bit. Um, I picked up a lot of hobbies, I picked up surfing there, but 
and the 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 vibe of California kind of got to me, and I kind of started to not like it anymore. I think it was just the people. Um, and now that I live in North Carolina, I I love North Carolina. It's way quieter. Everything's a little bit closer together. I still have a beach next to me, and and I mean the only thing. How far is uh, Camp Lejeune from the beach? Uh, about it's on the beach. All Marine Corps bases are on like have a beach access. They have to because we're amphibious by force. So I, should, I probably should have known that before I even opened my mouth with that. It's all right. No, it's a good question. <laughs> yeah, all of all of our bases are right next to the ocean because we're always practicing getting on and off ships and and beach stuff. Um. So yeah, we're, I mean, my house is five minutes, ten minutes from the beach. So. <sighs> Perfect. Yeah. North Carolina is a beautiful state. It really is. It really is. I thought I would love California and I did for a bit, but I, I think North Carolina is way better than California in the long run. It's, it's the mountains, the beach. It's just, yeah, you have, you have both. uh, Absolutely. And I'm actually going to Asheville this weekend for some team stuff. We're just going to go hike around the mountains for a bit, but you also have like DC is only like six hours away, you know, great, great museums there. So I, probably the other kind of like question about like in the, in the preparation uh, in, in training with all that is like, what were some of like the more like interesting physical challenges during the, your training? Like, I, cause it, it's, I was doing some research on MARSOC off the webpage before I was interviewing you and they said there are like the two kind of parts where it's like, it's, you have fitness, but then there's like underneath fitness or like equal to that is your ability to be a really good swimmer i wonder if you could kind of comment on the yeah. uh the differences between those types of uh challenges of like how what are the types of things that you do when you're swimming like what kind of what do you have to carry what are the types of uh, challenges of that i got you uh so i grew up swimming i swam up until high school actually and that's the that's when i stopped swimming competitively um i'm, as, I'm actually a swim instructor for the marine corps as well um so me personally I don't think swimming's hard. Never have. I've, I'm a fish in the water, as they say. But um, swimming hurts a lot of people because a lot of people aren't exposed to it at a young age. And the first chance they get is either at boot camp is with like the first time they're thrown into the water. And it's a terrifying experience for them. And after that, they don't really swim. So when you go to assessment and selection, you have to pass a SOCOM screener, which is a 300-meter swim in about 12 minutes. And then you also have to tread water. And then there's some other um, physical activities in there as well. And a lot of people actually physically cannot – they're just not comfortable swimming. So a lot of people quit there. Um, When you go to ITC, you have to go through something called Water Survival Advanced, which makes you a safety swimmer. Um, I went through WSA when I was in the line company on my second deployment, and it consists of – it's a week-long course, um, and you learn four rescues of how to save someone with equipment while you're also wearing equipment, um, and you drag them back in the water. And it also involves like uh, bottom sample searches uh, and teaching swim techniques as well. So – I never had a problem with that because, like I said, I've I've been swimming my whole life, except for high school. High school was literally when I quit swimming. I don't know why. I just thought it was lame. No offense, anyone on the swim team, if you're listening, I said, keep doing what you're doing. Um, but I I never had a problem. I know a lot of people struggled, and as a swim instructor, I was I was helping them through that, especially in assessment and selection. But 
the best the best advice I can give you is to get in the water and just just become comfortable being uncomfortable if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you just want to put your like no one likes doing cardio, you know? Just but you got to do it. <laughs> I, I I hate cardio as much as the next guy, but you got you got to do it because it's just it makes you that much better as an individual. Now, you 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 were talking to maybe in part of the training it could be interesting to kind of uh discuss as well, which is um what were some of the survival types of training things that like that you would go through as well like so you you go into the wilderness with what type of resources to kind of then um figure it out like what were some of those types of uh challenges in your training for for that yeah so um when you go through when you join the marine corps you go through seer level one which is actually just a brief and it's like hey what to do in case you get lost or captured and it's like a four slide little quick don't say anything dumb um school and you're like cool i'm now up to date on that when you go through itc you go through crc which is the same thing that pilots go through as well and reconnaissance marines go through all special forces have to go through crc even our attachment and our support guys and what that entails is like exactly like you said you're you're living off the land and and you're evading so for us, like they gave us a small little, it was about the size, you know, the pocket and a binder. Mm-hmm. It was about that big of a survival kit. And then they put us in the Croatan National Forest and they're like, we're going to chase you now. And then you kind of just avoid them. And that's as much as I could really go into it. But like you're just building fires, living off the land, um, procuring your own water, attempting to procure your own food, depending on the season. Um they teach you how to build fires, how to procure food, obviously. Um, but I mean, it was tough. You lose a lot of weight, obviously, because you're not really eating like you should be. But I went there in a lucky in a lucky year where there was a lot of raspberries around, so I was running around <laughs> grabbing raspberries for a good portion of my days as I was <laughs> hiding from people. It's basically a big game of hide and seek while you're also surviving for your life. I, I don't know. I just I turn everything how into a game. Ahead. How long ago? How long were you with that uh, exercise uh, be? That's about three to four weeks. The whole course. In the so like so they say go get lost for three weeks and so the, like in the so week. like the first the first week two weeks like they're teaching you stuff right yeah and and then two three days before they put you out in the wilderness you go outside. Um, you learn how to like skin animals and things. Uh, I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> you learn how to procure food and, uh, get meat from animals, uh, yeah. and build fires and shelters. Yeah. And then they're like, Hey, then they, you get in vans and then they just drop you off and they're like, time starts now, you know? And then they just chase you around. Um, we had dogs on us for a bit. Uh, we also had to be wary of bears. I remember I was picking berries in a field and a black bear came up to me and I was just like, yo, that's a bear right there. And I just kept picking berries. I was just like, if it's going to get me, it's going to get me. Uh, I'm just hungry at this point. So, but that's that's so, that's so incredible. And when, when do you, when do you know to come back in? Like, um, is it it over when they get you or is it like, you'll know, you'll you'll know, you'll know real quick. Um, Because yeah, in the end they get you, but you'll, You'll know, um, and then you'll go through other parts of it, where they teach you other things and whatnot. 
and other stuff. That's I can't really go into super course, detail. Right. That. I'm not, we're not gonna give away secrets, so yeah, we keep you safe. I get it. I, I think uh, it's not that. It's just the cool. I think you could Google it if there's more information on it. That's just called sure. Sear. Then I sure. think there's documentaries on it as oh, well. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Um, I was wondering it too. Like, uh, so you've been in the Marines long enough. Have there been any interesting, um, kind of evolutions in or in in the type of technology that you oh guys my have. god recently heck yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm not part of the big marine corps anymore but when i first joined so when i say big marine corps like marsoc is socom everywhere else is the big marine corps just for everyone's clarification like the marine corps has shifted so far in technology i my personal views on it are i mean don't matter but i kind of disagree with the the route they're going with the technology but their tactics are have like really evolved to you can google it obviously just like to mm -hmm. fight china um i can't really talk about politics for any right. reasons but it's all open source on like the marine corps page if anyone follows any marine corps facebook page or instagram page like the training they're doing and like the tactics they're trying out now have been like what i what I was trying to do when I was a squad leader, but everyone was like, no, that sounds dumb. And now like all of a sudden people are like, Hey, that's a pretty cool idea. Let's put a, let's put a stinger missile on a Zodiac and see if that could shoot down a helicopter. You know, like the, the, the mission set has completely, like we got rid of tanks, like Marine Corps used to have tanks. And now this past year we got rid of them to free up funding for other things. Like the squad size has changed when I was, on my second deployment, I only had six dudes in my squad. You're supposed to have 12 or 13. I had six. And then now they buffed, beefed it up to about 14. And now every squad has like a little drone. It's ridiculous. Like it's way too fancy for me. I'm a basic guy. Yeah, yeah. I like to, I like to do things without technology for the fact is what if that battery dies? I think, I'll think, I think a lot of things are kind of a waste of money, but that's not my opinion to make. It would make sense that you would want to keep things because if you I'm just thinking from a while that could be an absolute advantage to have, let's say, the drone. But if you leaned on its um, uh, what it provides you and then again, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. I could see how that exactly would that that's my mindset on everything. Yeah, is like if, it, if it can break, it will break. And, yeah. and my biggest thing is like batteries, like. When I fill my rucket to go out, my ruck is batteries. It's all it's like food, water, my tarp, and batteries. And it is just like what internation is going on here? I think one time I was doing a patrol and my ruck weighed 105 pounds and fifty pounds of it was just batteries. And I was just like, wow. This is ridiculous. And like the technology out there is amazing and it does great things, but the way the Marine Corps is going is can you supply the batteries? That's, that's actually like the whole military's like mindset right now is like they're pushing out such good stuff, but can they keep it working? Yeah. That, I mean that, and uh, obviously having that absolute dependency of, of energy uh, would be just, is it's, it's mass. It's yeah. massive, especially when you're doing stuff, where you can't get resupplied you know so you have to take more batteries and it's just like is this even worth it can we take more guys like is this possible like it's gonna be it's just it's like a you got to find that fine balance yeah right it's now puzzle. it's a puzzle constantly. It, it really is and i think the whole military is kind of trying to figure that out which is nice because it used to be when i was 
a, a junior guy who was like, Tyler, you're taking like five batteries and these batteries each weigh five pounds. And they're like this, they're like a quarter of a laptop size. And they're like a book thick. Like they're like, what book can I compare it to? There's like the Lord of the Rings trilogy thick. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sorry. I love Lord of the Rings. <laughs> right. So it's like, Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So it's like that trilogy thick and like, like a quarter of a laptop size, you got five of them and they only work for like eight hours a piece. And it's like, man, like, is this, is this worth its weight or is it, can I recharge it? You know, just things the government's really just trying to, trying to work on. Yeah. It's good though. It's good. They're working on it because when I was a junior guy, it was just like, take it, throw it in the radio, throw it in whatever we need and then carry the dead ones out. Cause you can't leave anything behind. Oh, that's so great. Tyler, this has been so much fun uh, hearing about your training and everything that you do. And uh, it's, I've just, I've learned so much. Uh, I was wondering uh, at this point of the interview, I always like to have the guest give advice to current wildcats about how to be successful. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the best thing I could ever tell anyone to do is like absolutely 100% without a doubt is be yourself, man. Like a lot of people don't like me. I'm an extrovert and I joke around all the time and it can really hinder things, but like be yourself, be comfortable with yourself. Like don't let, if people don't like you cause you're you, like that's their problem. Like do, do what you like to do. And that's like the biggest thing that like, if I could tell someone, if I could tell younger Tyler, like, Hey man, like what do you, what's wrong? I'd be like, yo, just be confident, be goofy, do whatever you do. What makes you happy, you know, just vibe out. If that makes any sense totally. <laughs> in the most basic terms, just work hard, but do, do what you like to do, become really proficient at it and have hobbies. Like hobbies is a big one. Your work life is not a personality. And it's important to have hobbies to take your mind out of your work life. Like, especially me, like this whole year since January, this is my third week home since, since January, cause I've been gone so much. And it's really important to have hobbies to take you out of that mindset. Like I started doing carpentry and I build computers. I'm like, just something to get my mind of like, Hey, being a Marine is not a personality. It's just a job that I enjoy doing. Get your mind out of that if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I love what you said there about, um, you know, work hard and get good at something. And how did you say it? you said work hard and get really good be prof- at proficient at what you do, That's what, it. what you love, be proficient yeah. at what you love. Cause someone somewhere will pay you to do what you love to do. Like <laughs> If, if people say, Hey, that's not a job. I'm, I promise you someone somewhere will pay you to do it. If you love to do it. Yeah. I love that. That's great. That's, Tyler, that's thank you thing. so much. This has been a, a whole lot of fun. Absolutely. Mr. Mbaugh. I have, yeah. wow. I, I pronounced that right. It's been, yeah. it's been like a decade. <laughs> for sure. Oh. Thank you for your service. No problem. I, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you want to find past episodes, go to Apple Music, Podcasts, and search We Go Vox.